This week on the Big Story Podcast. 17-year-old student was shot several times right outside of his school. A grim reality for minority students. I teach them about a lot of levels of systemic oppression from mass incarceration to racism within the educational system. I've had students come to me and talk about their experiences with police brutality. You can tell the difference when you walk into the building of a predominantly black school and a predominantly white school. The stuff that they teach them is always different. And sometimes I feel like they think that we're dumb. Generations of students exposed to violence. Sometimes it can be very dangerous, especially close by this area. There could be shootings at literally any moment. It had happened outside the school. Seeing a student lost its life is really, really disappointing. And up against a system that has historically discriminated against them. The fact that you couldn't own a home in particular neighborhoods, if you were black or brown, meant that you couldn't accumulate wealth and you couldn't pass it down to your kids, and we are living with the effects of that. Joe Zarenko, a producer here at Big Story. This week's podcast revisits an episode from our series, The Race Gap in the U.S. It takes a look at the public schools in New York City and the experiences of kids from disadvantaged areas. Often these kids are black and in many cases from single parent households. They also live in low income neighborhoods and that can translate into going to a school with a lack of resources. Unlike kids from more affluent neighborhoods whose parents can afford private tutoring and have time to help them to get into high-ranking schools, these kids don't get that mentoring, and it holds them back. Of course there are exceptions, as we're about to show you now. Let's meet some of these kids and hear about their dreams, frustrations, and fears. This episode is called The Race Gap in the U.S., African Americans. In 1951, the Topeka Public School System in Kansas refused to enroll Linda Brown, a black student, to an all-white elementary school that was closest to her home. The Browns and local black families filed a lawsuit. They wanted to dismantle federal laws that condone segregated schools for black and white students. In 1955, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled segregation unconstitutional. Ten years after the famous Brown versus the Board of Education, segregation in New York had actually gotten worse. In 1964, minority families finally protested, pulling their kids from class. Now, anybody who wants to play sandlot baseball, you take the token integration that goes with it. You take the token freedom that goes with it. I want it all. I want it now, not tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. And if it comes to that, tomorrow I'm going to fight for it. 
Nowadays, the U.S. student body is more diverse than before, but some public schools remain highly segregated, including schools in New York City. Mayora Carter was born and raised in the South Bronx, a poor community of color in New York City. She studied hard and got accepted to the Bronx High School of Science, an elite high school for top students. After that, Mayora went on to study and work far away from home. She always wanted to leave since she was a child. I was planning my escape from the South Bronx when I was seven years old. At the beginning of the summer, my, the two buildings at either end of my block burned down, and at the end of the summer, my brother was killed in, in this, one, of the, one of the drug wars. And, um, and I'd heard about Bronx High School of Science. And I was like, that's where the smart kids go. And I was like, every single thing I do, from reading books to going to school, you know, to just filling my mind with anything was one step closer to getting me into that school and then graduating and going to a name college. Like, that's what I call them, name school. Mayora remembers how hard it was for her at Bronx Science. She didn't see herself reflected anywhere. My teachers here were mostly white. So to go to Bronx Science, you know, to come up from here to take the, the four train was a really kind of crazy experience to go to a place that was predominantly white. I can't say it seemed hostile, but I understood why most of the black kids and, and Latino kids kind of sat together, because it wasn't welcoming in, in any real, real way. 35 years later, black students and their families are still finding ways to escape their circumstances in the city. Takaria Thomas used to be a straight A student, but she lost her motivation to study because of the race gap between her school and the predominantly white schools. Sometimes I think about if you go to Manhattan and you know where it's predominantly more white students, they have more opportunities and things that we don't have in Brooklyn, where public schools are. And like, you can tell the difference of when you walk into the building of a predominantly black school and a predominantly white school. And I just feel like, you know, some things should just be a given. Like, when you go to a school of predominantly white kids, the stuff that they teach them is always different. And sometimes I feel like they think that we're dumb. Sometimes, because I feel like just because I live here and I go to a school like that in this area, I feel like they're looking down on me. It can't take your motivation away. It can make you just want to drop out of school, which is why I feel like kids out here that do, that be in gangs and stuff like that, it has something to do with issues when they go to school and they feel like, I don't even belong here. Like, you know, where I grew up, this, this, that, and a third, and they shouldn't have to feel that way just to go in the school building. Carrie's goals have shifted from scholarship and college to simply graduating and moving to Texas. Mayora from Bronx Science made a name for herself traveling the world as a speaker and activist for neighborhood transformation. But now she's come back to the Bronx to stay. 
Roxanne Vanderhurst, 15 years old and originally from the Caribbean island of Dominica, was raised by her single mom. Growing up on an over-policed, under-resourced corner in the Bronx, she sees the specialized schools like Bronx Science as a way to reach her goals. They include going to medical school and becoming a surgeon. I have been here for three years. This year, when we started doing our high school applications, our uh, guidance counselor for the high school applications told us that there are also specialized high schools. I have heard about specialized high schools before because when I was in fifth grade elementary, uh, they sent me a open house for a specialized high school. But the specialized high school that I did the test for was the Bronx, uh, High School of Science. The test was difficult, but I was able to finish it in the time that we had. Math teacher Mike Vasquez has spent his career helping his mostly black and Latino middle school students to pass it. In the years that I've been here, 20 years, only four kids have made it to specialized high school. Four in the 20 years in this school. Other schools have been more successful, but we have not been as successful. Again, part of it is because we start out late. That could be part of the problem. We didn't teach this in eighth grade. So clearly, in the past, the questions were geared more towards kids who had a private tutor or had, were involved in a, some kind of program where they were taught this. This is not something that an eighth grade student would just simply take. There, there was no way an eighth grade student back then could have taken a test like this and expect to pass it. Just, just no way. The other problem is we didn't have, like I said, a curriculum. There are programs out there where kids can start at sixth grade, seventh grade, and then will more or less be guaranteed a seat in a specialized high school. But we haven't had that curriculum. I've requested it, but never got it. For years, the school has offered a free course to help kids prepare for the test, but only at one location, which can be hard to get to. So what happens is that a lot of kids, like in our kids, the ones that are given that opportunity, they don't take it. Because of course, the parents, they're single parents. They work on the weekends and during the week, and they work long hours. If they're single parents, they have to support the family. Each year, roughly 20,000 students take the entrance exam. There are just 600 openings. Only around 50 black and Latino students make it into the specialized high school. That's less than 9%. For many minority students like Roxanne, who dream of a successful career, the specialized schools are symbols of hope and excellence. End of a system rigged against minorities and the poor. Public schools are financed by neighborhood property taxes. When property values are low, schools suffer. They're often underfunded and lack basic materials. But the city's affluent, predominantly white neighborhoods don't have that dilemma. High school senior Jalyn McCurdy 
interviews experts for her final thesis on how minorities intersect with the justice system. Park Slope, Brooklyn has well-funded schools and Jaylin's been at the top of her class since she was a kid. The guidance counselors at my school just kind of made it seem like, oh, you're a good student, so you kind of have the ability to get in wherever you want. For Jaylin, going to one of the elite specialized schools was the next natural step. I definitely feel like it's different in low-income neighborhoods where schools don't have as many resources, but I think in my middle school, they made it seem like everybody had the option to take tutoring if they wanted it, and they knew that like you would have to pay for tutoring. I just think that in certain schools, that's not something that crosses the administrator's mind, that a lot of students may not be able to afford the help or afford to be able to learn more about the high school process and which high school would be right for them. More importantly, Jaylin's mom was able to cover the cost of the specialized prep courses. If you don't have the resources, if you're not in the right area, if you don't have the right amount of money to get you know, your child into what they need to give them that little boost, that little push, then you're really at a disadvantage. In some areas of Brooklyn, going to school or coming home from school can mean putting your life at risk. There's danger of being shot on the street. Jaheem Kelly, a 17-year-old black student, lives in a windowless basement apartment with his father in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Jaheem's friend Troy White has the same problem. His nerves are always on edge. I feel like every time I'm walking like in day and in night, I have to check behind me every 24-7. You, you, just out of safety, create like anxiety and stuff. But besides that, nothing really happens. I just reach home safe and it's just my head like spinning, overthinking and stuff. Well, a family is in mourning today after a 17-year-old student was shot several times right outside of his school, Urban Dove Charter School in Midwood. We're learning today that he has died. It had happened outside the school. That could have been prevented, but obviously it wasn't. We had walked out to school and we just heard shots going off and a student dropped. It had been one of our, like, I think our freshmen's. For Leah Rivero and her classmates, it seemed like just another day when they were walking out of their school. But then they heard a gunshot and saw a student dropped to the ground, right outside the Urban Dove Charter School. Honestly, it's really sad. It's really traumatizing for everybody that was in the school. It's really, really dark right now. It's just seeing a student that we went to school with, we played sports with, on the floor, lost its life. It's really, really disappointing. To my school now, what they did was just put a light, a police light. Still no security, still nothing. Our teachers said not to speak about it, leave it alone. It's really surprising that it wasn't spoken about. So everybody has to sit there with all this built up anger and depression and everything and just be told what to do all day. And I feel like it's easier for kids that have like problems with other kids to go in that area because there's no school safety. There's only adults, it's like deans and stuff trying to be security guards and all that, it's not that safe for us.
Generation after generation, many of these teenagers from minority communities live trapped lives. According to Matt Gonzalez at New York University, what's happening to black students in New York's public school system is the result of people being used to the country's segregation system. The problem is most folks have just gotten used to it and we don't actually even see how absurd it is that we have a, you know, we have multi-million dollar towers on the Upper West Side, literally across the street from housing projects. And we have two schools here and one of them is catering and serving the tower. The other one is serving the students in the housing project. And then you're gonna compare these kids, you know, compare their test scores to each other. And then you're like, that school sucks because their test scores suck, right? But we've basically created a system where they're supposed to struggle, they're supposed to have a higher need, and we're supposed to compare them so that we can again continue this idea that they didn't work hard enough, so they deserve substandard opportunities. We designed this system of segregation. We made this, this is what we wanted, right? Not me, but we as a country. And so the whole, you know, for me, this is really about maintaining a system of white supremacy and like racial capitalism. And the ways that we do that is by separating people from resources, opportunity and power. And that is like the fabric of segregation and it is written into our country. That's all for the Big Story podcast this week. Our thanks to our correspondent in the field, Jerry Hayden, and here in our studios, our thanks to my colleagues Omar Teitelbaum and Kaishu Zhao. If you want to watch the full-length documentary, please go to CGTN Now on Apple TV.